Hello everyone, I'm Jen and welcome to another episode of Monogamish Pod. On this week's episode, I'm giving you some brand new yet sort of not content on the podcast. Everyone knows that I had Lian Yao on last week talking about the business of polyamorous content creation. And shortly after that, Lian and I had a conversation for her Happy Holiday series where we talked about polyamory, race, and culture. That was such an interesting conversation, and I felt like you guys deserve to hear it on the podcast too. It's been posted on IGTV, it's on the Polyphilia blog YouTube channel, but why not give it to you guys here on the Nagamish Pod as well? We had such an interesting time talking about all this stuff. And so that's going to be coming up shortly. Before that, I just want to check in with you. Put my finger on the pulse of the Monogamish Pod family. How are you guys doing? How are the holidays treating you? This time of year can be rough for a lot of people. Whether you're close to your family or not, it's especially with COVID. Like we are in a strange space yet again, moving into 2022. And I just want to let everyone know that I love you. (laughs) that's really what it is every person who listens to this podcast i care for you guys deeply and i am so grateful for your support and i'm wishing you all the best and love and life and health and wealth everything for the rest of the year and into 2022 this is our last episode of 2021 and so in 2022 things will continue in a similar vein to what we've been doing before but of course different topics different guests different ideas more sharing more openness and i don't know i feel like this time of year is hard for me as well which i don't think i talk about enough i might have like skimmed it in previous conversations on the pod in previous years but i moved to a new state this year which you guys know i've only been living in my new state for about two months um my first time living fully on my own no roommates I, I've rented rooms and places before. I've I've had to take care of myself, of course, all this time. But it's interesting, like, having a place that's just you. There's no one else there unless you invite them over. And I like it. I like it a lot. I knew that once I did this, I would never want another roommate again. And it's definitely proven correctly. But also, setting up a house with all of your own furniture is kind of weird, considering I only had, like half a set of furniture you know what I mean like I had a little dining table I have a futon I have my bedroom stuff but when it comes to like general living space areas I didn't have a lot of shit because that was usually shared between my former roommates and I so now it's like oh crap I gotta outfit a place with all these things and that is expensive as well by the way like did you guys know that moving is expensive And like buying furniture for some reason is an astronomical price. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. But (laughs) that's where I'm at. That's where everything is. Um, I spent Christmas and Thanksgiving alone in my house because I wanted to be alone for the holidays. Again, the first time I've ever been alone on any of those holidays ever in my entire life. Um, Because usually I'm with family or when I was working out of the country, I was out of the country. So I was at the hotels or I was on the plane. I was never truly alone, but I was here in my house alone, just like in the silence with myself, eating the food that I cooked, drinking the wine that I wanted to drink. And it was invigorating. And it led me to think a lot about my relationships and my life and my polyamorous journey and there's some stuff that i want to talk to you guys about privately which will be on our patreon and our instagram close friends you guys will see that but um there's just there's a lot going on 
And then, like, for Christmas, I did something very strange, which in turned into me listening to She Lives in My Lap by Outcast for, like, an hour straight on repeat. <laughs> and now I want to do an episode about that song where I interview Andre 3000 and ask him some detailed questions, which is not poly-related, but here we are. This is This is what's going through my mind right now. But as we head into 2022, we head into a new year, a new chance to begin again, even though every day is a new chance to begin again. I've been thinking a lot about resolutions for myself, for the podcast, for my relationships, for my career, and I've come to some interesting conclusions. So I will not go into more detail of that, but uh, you know what? Enough about me rambling. I'm <laughs> Here's the conversation with Leanne aka polyphilia blog about polyamory and race let me go hello everyone and welcome to day three of the happy poly day series um today i am joined by jen from monogamish pod we're going to be talking about the polyamorous poc experience jen welcome to this series <laughs> like i say this like i'm on a podcast but i'm really not i'm just this was just like i'm bored in quarantine let's have a chat so yeah jen tell me a bit more about yourself introduce yourself and we'll kind of talk about what you do and i would also love to hear about your origin story and how you came to practice polyamory uh, yeah of course hi jen i'm host of monogamish pod which is of course a podcast about non-monogamy and polyamory through a black caribbean lens huge mouthful just to say I'm Jamaican. I was born and raised in Jamaica <laughs> and discovered probably every while in Jamaica. Very awkward situation, by the way. Mm. And so now it's just, I want to highlight BIPOC experiences in polyamory because when I was doing my research and a lot of that stuff, it was just very white. <laughs> Everything was very white, very American. And they're like, okay, but no one's really understanding where I'm coming from here. So my friend Shem and I started this podcast and now it's just me rambling about my life and other people's lives pretty much that's that's what I do here but my origin story is that fun fact I'm pansexual but I discovered that I was into women when I was like six or seven years old so pretty young not really sure you know how to navigate that because I didn't think people did those sorts of things like I knew about lesbians everyone knew that I didn't know that you could like both but it was my dream as a kid to have a husband and a wife because it just made the most sense. I was like, why isn't anyone doing this? Y'all are stupid. Lame. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone knows this is where it's at. Like boys are okay and all because they can like find things, but like, girls are better because we can do stuff. As a six or seven year old, like what is their purpose? Like, honestly, what do boys do for you at that age? Run around and make noise and just smell. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my God. They can find things and then they, they can open jars. Um. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't doing much. They weren't doing much. And so my journey into understanding my sexuality, which I finally officially accepted, was a thing when I was like 13. Because okay. of course it's, ah, this is not a thing. And then L word happened. And I was like, oh, that lady's bi. Okay, I can do that. Yeah. I know a word for this now. Mm -hmm. And so doing that, living my life, still wanting a husband and a wife, because that was the ideal. That was the only way that I thought relationships worked. Either you were cheating on your partner and you had multiple other like outside people in Jamaica. We call those like, of course, no side pieces. Everyone knows that phrase, but you have Joe Grind, which is like a male version of that. He's Joe Grind. Yeah, we have different pathways, very expressive. Okay. <laughs> right. Jim Screechy or a Joe Grind. He's that outside man to your primary <laughs> romantic relationship. Okay. And it is also very much 
accepted but not accepted that your partner will cheat on you and so you'll have a he'll have a side woman oh my god all right you'll have a quote-unquote matey that's what we call them mateys (laughs) (laughs) see very very interesting and so there's even a song that was very popular back in the late 90s I believe called my love my mate like I love my Mm. boyfriends girlfriends yeah. <laughs> sort of thing and so it's just it's very interesting how this is like indoctrinated in the culture like we're a very christian society as well mm-hmm. so <laughs> fornication horrible masturbation terrible harry potter of the devil if your husband has a girlfriend you should just get over it because that's what men do oh <laughs> so- wow and this is so specifically only men could do this only men could have yes yeah if, if yeah. women do this it is the end of the world obviously because you know how dare a woman want another man mm-hmm. don't you know that if she has too many men in her vagina it will just expand and it will never <laughs> go back to its normal size like who would want that yeah like it's okay yeah this actually reminds me of culture like back in in hong kong or like you know china like where i come from so i think obviously like hong kong is a very distinct entity from china but my parents do spend a significant amount of time in china because of like business stuff so over the last like 10 years i've basically spent like almost equal amounts of time in hong kong and like in shanghai like where my dad works now and like i i know that in in china it's basically like similar in that if you're like a high-flying businessman it's very much expected that you will have a mistress and usually like someone that you'll lavish quite a lot of gifts on it's basically going to be like a sugar daddy uh sugar baby dynamic type thing and like the thing about that is like it's fine if you do it as long as like they're not like publicly recognized Uh, like and wives will usually look the other way as long as like they are still they still maintain like the hierarchy of being like number one and like such women like the kind of mistress um they're called xiaosan which is it means little three or like little third and so So not a normal third but like a tiny third yeah and so so that's like very like socially accepted and which is and so it's interesting that like they'll allow that like as long as it's but I'm still like I'm still the one who is like the wife and you're not going to leave me for her or like whatever and this is just some like fun dalliance that you're having like outside of marriage and so it, it's with this is kind of socially accepted but then as soon as everyone knows about it or whatever everyone's oh my god this can't this can't be and there was no polyamorous community in Hong Kong like up until maybe like two years ago when like there was like a polyamory meetup group that was established and I didn't know this until very recently actually because like I saw an article in the Hong Kong Free post where they interviewed some polyamorous people in Hong Kong and I was like what because I moved to the UK five years ago and so I was like this wasn't there when I was there like what so I was I was pretty happy about that I'm super psyched to see or see what's going on but yeah anyway back to what you were saying so there's this culture where men are like allowed to cheat and women aren't and you so like how did that kind of influence like your expression of wanting to be polyamorous and particularly the queerness aspect of it as well I assume that was also like yeah not not you know socially not allowed yeah I think that I will start by saying yeah all of the men that I grew up with who were adults so uncles whatever Mm -hmm. family friends whatever almost all of them had a side girlfriend and this is it's one of those like best kept slash worst kept secrets sort Mm -hmm. of situations so you could have a situation like I have a friend his grandfather they were didn't have a lot of money but his grandfather actually was also dating the neighbor. And so he had kids with the neighbor as well as with his wife. 
And it was one of those things where it's like, everyone kind of knows, like, we kind of know this is happening, but we don't talk about it. We don't talk about the fact that your husband's kids all play together and just think they're friends and not that they're all related. It's, there's, and then there's, and then there's this whole idea of jackets. So jackets are, a woman gives a man a jacket when she says a child is his and it is not his. So that is the top fear of women being able to have sex with multiple men. They're going to give me a jacket. They're going to pretend this child is mine when the child is not mine. Not factoring into all the other issues that come into that, which is it could have been yours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was yeah. also sleeping with you. There, there's just, there, there's a lot of layers in, in politics to the situation, yeah. I will say. But so I grew up aware of all of those things. Yeah. Um, if we want to take it super close to home, my grandmother one of my grandmothers is not my grandfather's wife she's his girlfriend right and my grandfather was still married and he had children with his wife children with my grandmother she Mm -hmm. had children from a previous relationship so this was just standard like I grew up knowing that my grandmother would have my grandfather over to her house Mm -hmm. for like lunch he would come up for dinner Mm -hmm. he would stay and watch the news they Mm -hmm. would go to sleep and he would not be here in the morning like he would leave at 11 p.m to go home to his wife that was just normal so I was I for me polyamory just makes more sense than all of that subterfuge yeah and so even like growing up and like exploring connections with men and like dating men and people are talking about cheating and whatever I can tell you one of my boyfriends cheated on me and I say cheated because he violated the arrangement but he violated the arrangement the first time (laughs) Once I knew this was who he was, I had already made peace with that. I was like, okay, I'm good. Wow. You're still still my boyfriend. Yeah. But I already know you're sleeping with other people. And the only rule, of course, was to keep up the appearances. Yes, you're sleeping with other people, but I'm the only one who's your girlfriend. Okay. Yeah. That's what you get used to doing. Yeah. And then realizing that wow, this is fucked up. How come they get to sleep with other people and I don't? Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> You're and the so, one with the dream since you were like six of having a husband right? and wife. You're like, I want to live that dream. Living the dream. And so being bisexual, it was way easier. People are like, oh, guys are like, oh, if you don't sleep with men, it's okay. You can sleep with other women. And I'm like, sign me up, bitch. It's exactly what I wanted. I don't give a shit about other dick. I only need one. <laughs> give me my three girlfriends, please. Harry, Harry, Thank you very much. But again, of course, being queer is not at the time, not publicly socially accepted. Yeah. So it was more or less like a lot of the girls either had girlfriends, like secretly, like mm. just best friends. Yeah. Like my sister. She's like, yeah. oh, like we, we play those games still to this day with some people. Yeah. And then others, they were like openly queer. You couldn't hide that. They're what do they call them? Like gold star lesbians, never been with a man. Yeah. Yeah. Like and you yeah, problematic like term, but yeah, well. that is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. That that's what they call it. I've heard like in mm-hmm. the streets. So yeah. it's it's like that. And so I would have those secret girlfriends who like have boyfriends, but can't tell the boyfriends they're into women. And so they would like flirt with me and talk to me. And there's a running joke in my high school and like early college years that I could turn anyone gen sexual. So <laughs> they may not be into women, but for some reason they're into me oh. <laughs> or they might be lying about being into, but they're into me. And yeah. I was the, I was the anomaly. I just mm-hmm. happened to be 
so amazing I am, but I just happen to be so amazing that out of all the women in the world, Lisa Lefty Lopez, Halle Berry, I am the one that they want. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, a lot of men take advantage of that because Jen's hot. Let's have a threesome with Jen. Mm. And so that was very much like a huge part of the lifestyle. People are like, oh, but you're bisexual. Like you're into this freaky shit. Like, Mm. why don't you just want to have a threesome with me? Like, you you're not cute. (laughs) yeah so so you were just wait how old were you at this point in time like were you in school Uh, yeah so when I started exploring sexual connections with people and let's be very specific when I started having penis in vagina sex I was 17 okay yeah I was exploring sex with women before that because it's like it doesn't count because it's a woman sure so there was fingering there was all that stuff going on a little bit younger than that but I did not have like sexual intercourse with a man okay until I was 17 right so after that is when it was kind of like oh you know and it's awkward because my friends at the time were like very religious Mm. and so once I had sex it was like oh scarlet letter like all the guys wanted to use me to get experience not necessarily sex like to have sex with me but they were like oh Jen's had sex before so we can just make out and it's fine like she doesn't have feelings she's given herself over to the devil or whatever like she's tempting us to do these things by virtue of having a vagina and having used it once with another man what was that like that what was that like for you being like that person where everyone was just like using you for sex good time but not a serious time yeah did not help that I have been content warning trigger warning suffering from eating disorder issues and like body image issues and there was a lot of stuff going on in my life from childhood Mm -hmm. up until those things never really go away if we're being super honest there's always that kind of little part in your brain that will regress to a certain point if you were triggered a certain way yeah Um, so at that time it was very weird very Mm -hmm. hurtful and because for some of those people it's I thought we were actually friends Mm -hmm. and so when you express an interest in me to a certain point it's like cool all right then I'm interested as well I did have a crush on you so let's try to do this thing and then it was like oh no this was just a thing like no one can ever know about this and it was like ah you suck so I am not the problem here you are Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it took a couple of people but it also led to me cutting off that entire group of people because I was like there's something wrong with you guys. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm being honest about myself. I'm being who I am. And there's something wrong with you. I'm glad you had to think that at the time, because I think some people really just internalize it and they're like, maybe Mm -hmm. I'm the problem. I should be kept a secret. I'm worthless or. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I just didn't want a serious, like I wasn't looking for like my future husband. And of course, when you're in college, what are you doing if not looking for your husband? How dare you go to college? (laughs) One of my family members told me that. She was just like, what are you doing wasting your time? You're going, where are the men? And I was like, what men? Girl, what are you talking about? She's like, you should be taking this time to look for a husband. (laughs) I was like, a husband? Yeah. What am I going to do with one of those? I was also delusional because I did think that being married with a child by 25, because at 19, 25 seems super old for some uh-huh. reason. You're just yeah. like, that's just so far away. Uh-huh. I graduated college at 20. I graduated at 20. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I had already been like, okay, I've had a couple of threesomes, I've dated women, I've dated men. I'm very firmly in this bisexual camp, but I don't think I'm quite looking for the same things that everyone else is looking for. There's something Mm -hmm. not clicking with me about how Mm -hmm. this is going. So 
Time passes. I date mm. another man. We try monogamy for a while. I become miserable, very mm. unhappy. Mm-hmm. And this is after it took him like six plus months for me to even get for even him to even get me to call him my boyfriend I was just like pretending he was just some dude he's just some dude I happen to sleep with who's my friend he's not like my boyfriend or anything then I was like I guess I have feelings for you I guess you could be my boyfriend now yeah like I guess (laughs) I guess (laughs) yeah and then I got unhappy and then he was like why are you unhappy and I was like I just miss pussy (laughs) okay yeah and he was like why didn't you just say that you were bisexual when we started talking like you can date women and I was like really (laughs) yeah you can date women that's totally fine and that really that was it okay (laughs) you could never hold me back again the only reason I even tried monogamy with him was because he and I had talked about that future the marriage the kids the all the things what you're supposed to want when you're in your early 20s dating men and I thought that we could have had that future. So I was Mm. like, you can be bi. You just can't always be fucking bitches if you want that future. And then he Mm. was like, girl, he's like, don't hold that part of yourself back. There are going to be boundaries, of course, like some people that he'd be uncomfortable with me sleeping with. An ex-girlfriend, he's not excited about you sleeping (laughs) with an ex-girlfriend. That makes sense. I'm not going to leave you for her because I don't leave people. I don't cheat. I don't violate those sorts of things. That's one, that's my one thing, by the way, I I don't cheat. I've never cheated on anyone ever Mm -hmm. because I've seen what cheating does (laughs) to the relationships around me. I would rather just tell you, Mm. I'm feeling this person, something's happening, something's, something's whatever. And I will keep you updated. Or Mm -hmm. I think I want to fuck this person. We need to talk about what that means. Yeah. I'm not going to go behind your back and do the thing. Yeah. Yeah, See, this is the thing. Everyone thinks that polyamorous people have a history of cheating and that isn't, that is firstly like cheating is a much more nuanced uh issue than like people say it is right like people really make it very black and white people like esther perel for instance have really shone a light on the phenomenon and how it's like way more complicated than it is um but but then also people like you you've never cheated on you've always been very honest about your attraction to multiple people and you haven't made a secret of that and you've never acted on things like without having had a prior conversation which is what it's all about that's the point. So I was doing the polyamory thing before I even had the word for it. Like it was just, I was already doing it. Mm-hmm. And so when that partner and I broke up, I was great. Let's just mm-hmm. be single for a while. We'll casually date. We'll step more into being polyamorous because mm-hmm. at that point it's, I'm a bisexual person yeah. presenting in a monogamous cishet relationship. So once that was over, it was like, great, I can just be myself. I don't have to live with these expectations. I moved out of Jamaica. So I moved to the US at that point, but I was still dating people in Jamaica because you date what's comfortable to you. Yeah. So I was still engaging. My polycule, part of it was in Jamaica, part of it was in the US. I dated a couple. They were in Jamaica separately and together. It's just, there was a lot of stuff that Mm -hmm. was going on. And I can say that dating in Jamaica is complicated on the best day okay (laughs) just in general like due to I mean I guess it's the same everywhere but Mm -hmm. as an immigrant to the U.S. I don't have the same experience a lot of African Americans would potentially have here yeah so it's like Mm. in Jamaica we have that whole religious aspect to it where you know and then the whole anti-gay aspect to it and what that looks like and then the husbands are supposed to have side girlfriends but the wives can't have anyone else and 
what does that look like? And so you do end up being in the closet in a way. There's not a lot of opportunities to live openly, polyamorously on the island. There are some people who do, but obviously a lot of stigma that comes with that, just like how being LGBTQ plus in Jamaica does come with stigmas as well. We do have, you know, a pride group. We do have a J flag. We do have a lot of great things like that. Mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that there is not that stigma that's attached to it. And it, but that mostly comes from religion, uh, that religion yeah, and yeah. that Britain used to be, we're still technically a colony of Britain, keeping it honest, we, the queen's Wait, of state. Hong Kong, <laughs> like, same. <laughs> colonialism, my favorite. And so taking that into account, it's like a lot of our rules and our laws are very much based in homophobia mm-hmm. and in patriarchy and to benefit our colonial overlords, so yeah. to speak. Then it is what the current will of the people is. So like, for example, buggery is illegal. Mm -hmm. So buggery is, we have a buggery law, which is just anal sex. (laughs) Like regardless of gender? Yeah. Buggery is illegal. You can't, buggery is illegal. Oh, wow. Okay. It is more often applied to homosexual situations, obviously, because you got to catch those gays. But I'm doing quote unquote there. People who are not actively watching the screen. (laughs) (laughs) I forget that it sounds horrible when you say it out loud without little quotation marks. You know, there's levels to this. And so a part of you will always be living somewhat closeted in Jamaica unless you are completely out and proud. And yeah. able to deal with what the ramifications of that are. Yeah, yeah, no, that's real. I honestly, I'm seeing so many parallels between like your life in Jamaica and like mine in Hong Kong. Like, granted, like I didn't really start exploring my sexuality or even like sex, like at all, like until I I was in the UK and I moved to the UK when I was 16 to do my A levels. So like before that, before that, like I actually, this is really funny, but I actually thought I actually identified as asexual like for the longest time. And it wasn't until I moved to the UK that I was like, oh, I'm not a sexual I was just getting bullied and I wasn't attracted to anyone because everyone was bullying me um and which is fucked but yeah so in that way me me, like my experiences in school and that kind of thing and like early sexuality like are completely different from yours because I had exploration of that and so I didn't know I was queer really until I was like 18 I was like I was interested in the LGBTQI plus community but I was like I'm just a really enthusiastic ally and I wasn't (laughs) like I didn't really quite clock like oh I am, yeah, like until I was like, you know, at uni. But I wanted to touch on what you said about just like you you were fine with like your partner sleeping with other people and stuff, like as long as like you were still recognized as like the girlfriend. And this idea of keeping up appearances, as you said, I very much relate to that as well. What I said, everything about like the little third kind of culture, like in China. And it's, and I think also just generally with other stuff, I think in Asia, like people are very much concerned with keeping up appearances and looking like a certain type of way, a certain type of family, a certain type of life. And then they just don't talk about the elephant in the room. Like there's a lot of elephants in the room constantly. I'm not just talking about relationship. I'm talking about just your job, like your personal life, like your mental health, like all that is like mm-hmm. brushed under the carpet. And then you just, you're just like, yeah, yeah but we're fine. We're happy. We're wealthy. We're comfortable and it's like everyone's like having a midlife crisis (laughs) yeah yeah so it's so interesting that you've also had that experience and you also talked about how because you uh, grew up in Jamaica and then moving to the U.S. like you had a different experience from African-Americans where for me I 
also I grew up in Hong Kong for most of my life like I moved to the UK when I was 16 and I have a vastly different experience from like the Chinese people who had grown up in the UK and I, I, I think like the difference the main difference between me and like the kind of Asians that I came across uh, and I just mean generally, I don't mean like in the polyamorous community, is that they have a lot more internalized racism than I do, which obviously makes yeah. sense because I, I grew up in a majority Asian country. I always had like my race and my culture validated. I didn't feel insecure about it. I wasn't like bullied like for it. Whereas if you're in like a white majority country, then you're constantly like you see your culture being made a fun of and misunderstood and you misrepresented. And that's like a whole, that, that fucks with you. The racism hits different. The racism does hit different. Yeah. And like obviously people have been racist to me in the UK but it's never been like it's not been like a constant thing to the point where I've internalized it's always been more I've always treated it as more the exception than the norm and but yeah like I'm very like it sounds bad when I say this but I I feel that you know I I have the privilege of being like secure in my ethnic identity in a way that like diaspora Asians would kind of struggle to get to the same point and you know that's kind of because like I kind of lived you know I like because of my lived experience and I yeah and this kind of brings up for me like because dating this is where I want to start talking about like dating like other people of color or like dating like white people like in the polyamorous community and also generally because so my parents like had this dream for me like growing up where they were like oh we want you to marry like another like nice Chinese man ideally a doctor or an engineer um I know that life Yeah, like, yeah, you know, marry someone of the same race and they have a high-flying job, whatever, and then, like, have have two and a half kids or whatever. Like, that whole dream. And, you know, so then, like, when I moved to the UK and I started dating and, like, my first boyfriend was white, they were like... But then I broke up with that boyfriend. He cheated on me. And my second boyfriend was Chinese. His parents were actually from Hong Kong, but, like, he grew up in the UK and, like, his parents had a fish and chip shop in North London. Honestly, that was a a really weird experience for me because the internalized racism that I mentioned, I'm pretty sure, like, my boyfriend at the time, like, he was, like, the only Asian kid, like, in his entire kind of, like, neighborhood, like, Mm. back then. And I think that fucked with him in a way that meant that, honestly, like, I can confidently say he was more racist to me than all of my white boyfriends combined. Because of, like, Mm -hmm. this internalized hatred that he had of himself, his own race, and that kind of thing. He said things to me like, I, you're so civilized for a Chinese girl. Being Chinese. And that stuff like, that ran like so deep. And then he'd always make like, wit- I don't know how long I tolerated this, but we were only together for a year and a half. But like, he- uh, Sorry, You, know, you he said make- only a year and a half? Only? Mm. <laughs> only. Okay, that oh. stuff came out in the last like four months, I would say. But still, but like he- yeah, he would make weird remarks about like my parents in China in general. And then it was such a cognitive distance, distance because I was like, yeah, we're Chinese. We get each other. We speak in Chinese to each other at school to like, just to piss off the white kids because they don't understand what we're saying. We're speaking the secret code. We get each other. And then he says stuff like this. And so it, it was such a weird experience. And then, and my parents picked up on this as well. Like my parents were like, like we felt like he was cool because he's Chinese. We were so welcome, so happy to welcome him into the fold, but he's like weirdly racist towards us. And so I was like, yeah. And so after I ended that relationship, my mom was like, you know what? Like date whatever race you want. Because my mom was like, you, like she was, I thought you would be, you'd get along with British born Chinese people. But she was like, I completely did not consider there was this element of internalized racism. You have very fundamentally different life experiences in that way. And so, yeah. So so since then, like I've dated, you know, a mix of like races, right. But like my mom hasn't cared about it as much and not held on to the, you must date another Asian person. But yeah, I'm curious yeah. to hear what your what you and your family origin had to say about dating white people, but dating like people of your own race or dating other races oh. even. 
Yeah. My mom doesn't care. She's just kind of girl, if you happy, like whatever. She had to deal with a child who had a lot of like emotional issues Mm -hmm. and also happened to be bisexual and also happened to be polyamorous. Like she, there's enough on her plate to sort out like mentally with me. Okay. Like I think I came out to her as polyamorous last so she figured out all (laughs) so all the other stuff like about my trauma needing therapy all those other things came out first yeah and then it was like oh by the way you know that person that you think who was my best friend no we were fucking (laughs) (laughs) I was by and I only told her that because I was dating one of her co-workers Mm -hmm. unintentionally I was dating I knew this person separately and I didn't realize they were co-workers until after I introduced my mom to the person Mm -hmm. because they had more than one job why would I keep track of that I was like 18 19 like why would I keep track of things like that I don't know Mm -hmm. Um, and so coming out to her as polyamorous was a more recent thing it wasn't a secret there was that married couple who were so close to me who every time I came home to Jamaica to visit they would come to my house within Mm. hours of me landing Mm. and we'd be locked in my room for hours Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it just came out I was like that I'm dating both of them oh Mm. (laughs) like I thought you were just just, I I suspected something was going on between you and her and I was wondering if he knew about it but this makes sense (laughs) this makes more sense than what I was thinking yeah I was like yeah "Yeah, great cheers go us Um, but so she's never cared about the ethnicity of anyone that I've dated like no racial issues whatever my dad has an idea about what he wants for my life it involves me married to a rich white man and it also involves the rich white man financially supporting my entire family on my father's side oh wow it's not so much the fact that the guy is white more than is that he has money. Okay. I think if I found a rich Asian man, he would be just as okay with it. Mm-hmm. I think he wants me to have a rich white man because he thinks white men are stupid. So <laughs> I, I think that's really what it is. I think he thinks it would be so much easier to finesse a white man to take care of my entire family because they're right. not that smart oh. as opposed to it being a genuine color issue. Because oh, it's like a, a whitewashing issue. Yeah, like, no, this yeah. was more of a, they're stupid and they have money. We should take their money. But the only <laughs> way we're going to get it is if you marry him. Okay, okay, okay. So, yeah, that yeah. makes sense, I guess. I see that in places like Asia as well, like where it's like, find like a white dude and then just, yeah, yeah. take his money. <laughs> but like, yeah. I have standards. So <laughs> it's a bit awkward, right? When you have standards and you're trying to finesse some random, supposedly stupid white man out of his money, it gets a bit weird. Mm-hmm. Not that's ever been my goal, but it just, it just sounds like a lot of work to me, dad. I have to pretend to like this dude. I have to yeah. voluntarily spend time with him. I have a good <laughs> friend who yeah. I love. I hate the sound of his voice. I love him as a person, but I can't talk to him on the phone. And if I have to sit down in front of him and have him speak to me, I want to leave. <laughs> and it's okay. not because I don't care about him. He's my genuine friend but his voice. So if I don't want to be around someone that I actually care about, mm-hmm. <laughs> then how am I supposed to be around a stranger? Yeah. Like yeah. It would just be, it would money just be is, work. Yeah. Money is not enough. Yeah. Like he would have to compensate me severely for this time. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's never really been an issue. I okay. have, I've dated mostly black people. I'll be honest about that. I've dated mostly black people, mostly Jamaicans, but that's also just because of cultural issues okay and let me expand on this as nicely as possible okay so when I moved to the U.S. yeah there were a lot of little digs made to me by 
African-Americans about how obviously I have to escape the horrible lifestyle that I live in the islands. And that's why I came to the US, which is not even remotely truth as to why I came, but it's those little things that they constantly make you feel like you're inferior to them just yeah. because you came to the US. I'm like, they're going to kill both of us the same. Like, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're not going to stop me and be like, oh, sorry, you're not an American Black, you're like a Jamaican Black. Sorry, you can get a pass from the racism. <laughs> like, you're not going to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they, they see you the same. Yeah. It's, they see the color of my skin is the same. And so it's like those little, constant little digs like that, those little comments, those little nonstop. And there are obviously a lot of people I don't have those issues with, but then there are some people where it's like, and it's, it's usually coming from the men. Mm -hmm. obviously like they have this idea that they are saving me and Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's the 90 day fiance of it all where they just assume that I'm like dude you don't even have enough money to maintain me I don't have enough money to maintain me like I I have champagne taste on a sparkling water budget like Mm -hmm. you're you're trying to feed me McDonald's we are not the same right now yeah so there's a lot of awkwardness around that and then I have been on two dates with white men I have a hard no against white women, but that's just based on a lot of political things. I've tried with white men and one of them was going really well. But at the time I was an international flight attendant, he hated my job. And so he was like, yeah, I can't do this whole thing where you're gone for eight days at a time. Yeah. Okay. I was like, eight days is not that long. But again, I've been doing this job for several years. So my idea of like time and like how I schedule my time is very different. Like he was the kind of person who was like, if you're not in my face all the time, I can't do this. Oh, wow. And I'm the kind of person where, listen, I would rather you leave me alone. If we live <laughs> in the same house, we need to have separate bedrooms and separate bathrooms. Like I need to be able to avoid you if I so desire. Yeah, like, yeah, you want your own kind and, of personal space. Yeah. Exactly. And so that also helped me to narrow down how I view my romantic relationships. Because polyamory is more than just about sex. It's more than just about the romantic side of things, about how I'm going to structure the people that I care about, my intimate relationships. Not all of them have to be sexual. Mm-hmm. Some of them can just be what they are. Yeah. And it helped me realize a lot about what I don't want. Mm-hmm. And I don't want kitchen table poly. That mm-hmm. is not ideal to me. Okay. I, I was like, I very much am a solo polyamorous person. I want to live alone. <laughs> if, mm-hmm. if we are cohabitating, it is for financial reasons, not because <laughs> I actively want you in my space. Yeah. Like yeah. I've had roommates, roommates weren't off. Like we, we could be married, but we're roommates. Okay. We got separate spaces. We got separate times. We got schedules. We got the whole thing. And exploring dating racially was very mm-hmm. odd. Like, I remember on dating apps, men would be like, oh, yeah. This dude says, oh, my friends tell me I have jungle fever. Mm. And I was like, Mm. okay, what am Mm. I supposed to do with that? Do you know how racist that is? My Black friend says it all the time. Are you Black? (laughs) Are you Black? Did something happen to your picture? Do you look a little pale? And then the other ones were just like, oh, I hope you're not one of those Black Lives Matter bitches. (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, it's like, I, I lived in Florida. Very white men holding large fishes. Blue lives matter. Oh God. Okay. All lives yeah. matter. So yeah. I, I had a mixed bag. So I had some great, I had there, that one dude, if he could have had my flight time schedule, it could mm. have worked out a bit longer. He was also a redhead. I have a weakness for redheads. So that might've mm-hmm. been what it 
was. I've had sex with white men. I've engaged with them in different ways. I have white friends. Like I have intimate friendships with white people. Mm. But there's always this like thing that happens when you're around large groups of them. Yeah. <laughs> and there you can see how they treat you. Things just start looking differently. I went out with one of my good friends. She's white, blonde, beautiful woman. We went to a nightclub. Like a dude had invited her and a friend and mm-hmm. I'm her friend. <laughs> and he refused to look at me. He refused oh. to speak directly to me. <laughs> and so it was one of those things where he was only looking at her and then he'd be like, oh, I'm going to the bar. What do you want to drink? And so she would have to deliberately turn to me and be like, are you thirsty? Do you want something to drink? Okay. My friend and I will have XYZ ABC. Wow. That's how they treated you. Like they treated you like you were invisible. Like you were not even there. Wow. I've never encountered that kind of experience. If people ignored me, it wasn't on like the basis of my race. So for disclosure I attended Oxford University and you know Oxford University there is like a type of like rich white boy there where like they only associate with other rich white boys or rather it's not so much about race it's more about like wealth at that point if you're in the aristocracy in the UK like you're probably white and like I've had experiences where someone would ignore me until they real that someone else told them that I went to a certain private school and then they'd be like oh and they started to like take interest in me because I went to the right school but I've never yeah what you described as horrible that's dehumanizing but yeah so you talked about mostly dating like other kind of Caribbeans and that kind of thing and I I confess I don't know a huge amount about this but based on kind of what uh, conversations I've had with other like black polyamorous people so such as Evita Sawyers or Marjani Lane like what do you think of people in the black polyamorous community who like have this boundary where like they won't date someone who has a white partner so like they won't tolerate any like white people like in the polycule like particularly the practice kitchen table poly what do you think about that that's their personal choice right as long as they're not infringing that choice on someone else if they say to this person hey i am not cool having white people in the polycule if you have a white partner i'm gonna peace out i'm not asking you to change your situation i'm letting you know my boundary i'm gonna move, remove myself from that situation if they're doing it in a way like that where they're making the decision for themselves to remove themselves because they don't want to have to deal with that that's Fine. We can talk about all of the horrors that have happened. Like that casual story I told you, that's just casual everyday racism. That's yeah. not accounting in the family members who have told one of my good friends she's married to a white man in Europe and they called her a Negro <laughs> and they make these little, the comments and they're like, oh, isn't it like a bad thing to call you? Like, she's like black. I am black. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of racism that comes even unintentionally. Yeah. in these situations like they may not think they're doing the thing but mm. they are doing the thing because white is a default especially in the u.s yeah. so i can understand people not wanting to have white people in the polycule if it was kitchen table i probably wouldn't do it either not that i want kitchen table period but if that was the thing like I, this person has to be heavily vetted by me there is no way that i would be comfortable having a white person that close to me without having done a full vet on them if that's the kind of relationship you want us to have yeah and that means I gotta know who am I going to be around with them not just them personally but their family their friends friends. if we're doing kitchen table that means that they're all these people that they're connected to that are going to be a part of my life yeah okay I would need to know a lot of things like that before I'm comfortable with that Mm. if I have done the vetting and I've decided it's okay I'm comfortable with this that's mm-hmm. fine. It, it's not a judgment on my partner. 
or their partner it is something that I have to live with. Like I have to be okay with this. Yeah. And I think the burden always seems to be on the black woman to get along. Mm. You rarely ever hear black men saying they don't want white people in the polycule. It's because mm. the black men don't experience racism the same way as white women do in these polyamorous situations. Yeah. Yeah. And this is going to be this is a very general statement. This is not a, this particular black person does this. I have tended to notice that the majority of people who gravitate towards whiteness in a certain way are black men. They tend to have a lot of white female partners. They tend to take this proximity to whiteness to elevate their status in certain situations. Because of course, in business, like let's talk about that. Like yeah. in the American society, proximity to whiteness is king. Yeah. Like you yeah. are an acceptable quote unquote, you're in a quote unquote acceptable black if you have a white partner. Yeah. <laughs> like okay. a lot of white women, even on social media, actually this mm. week, I've mm. been getting some racist abuse on one of my other pages. And they're like, that's why all of your black men keep running to us white girls because of you raggedy, you know, you people Holy are like shit. this. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is the kind of comments that we get on our post. So for me, anyone who's uncomfortable interacting with whiteness in that way, especially romantically, if you don't have to, mm. I get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because the onus is always on the black woman to get along. And it's yeah. never on the white man, on the black man to fully vet his white partner to make sure they're safe to be around other people. Yeah. There's two things that I want to say in response to that, because on this kind of whole debate, I think this is quite like a thorny issue in the community because some people agree with it and some people don't. And like my personal take is that like, obviously like a white person is more likely to not have the kind of social awareness and that type of shit. But given the experience that I just told you about where like my one kind of long-term like person, like partner who was a person of color was more racist than all of my other white partners I've based on my own experience I've learned not to automatically assume that just because they're white they're going to cause harm and just because they're a person of color they're not they're immediately safe because I've been so massively betrayed in that way that like I see them the same I've never lived in America and I know that kind of race in America is like it's different I, I think because of the history and everything yeah. it's going to be like different from say like in the UK not to say that there is racism in the UK but I think the dynamics are like a little different and the second yeah. thing that I want to say like in calling back to what you said about like black men and proximity to whiteness obviously I have no kind of personal experience to speak of regarding this but this reminds me of do you know the YouTuber Cat Black um so yeah so yeah, black, yeah black polyamorous trans women and uh, recently she did like a podcast call-in show like where she was speaking about the very very thorny issue of race play mm -hmm. and particularly black people who willingly participate in race play and she yeah and and basically like she got like a bunch of people to call in with their own personal experiences of this and basically she from all of that because she's got quite a big following big platform and whatever and kind of speaking to people like she managed she surmised that people who like the black people who are all right with race play are black men whereas like black women are not okay with it and so that was like that you know that, what you said reminded me of that how I think like like being a man you still have some amount of kind of male privilege in terms of like your personal safety and that kind of thing that like as a black woman you don't have would you say that's accurate yeah yeah, if we're talking about racism in general, yes, everyone experiences racism, but Black women are the one who get shit on the most. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and this is just factually true. We could talk about it statistically based on numbers. You could talk about anything around this, but it always comes down to the fact that it's always the Black women who have the worst experiences, even with Black men. Because mm -hmm. they're like, oh, that's why, that's how we can't date you people. That's why we can't date people like you. Yeah. 
Yeah. And my friends and I have a joke, black men are the weakest link because there's, <laughs> I don't, when it comes to this, there's a funny TikTok. I thought it was hilarious. This black guy asking the girlfriend, like, oh, would you, his white girlfriend, obviously, would you leave me if there was somebody who wants to date you can make more money than me? She was like, yeah, what the fuck am I going to stay with you for? They make more money. Like, why would I stay with you? And he was like, oh, could not believe she's saying that. She's like, are you dumb? Like, you don't, someone who paid for my nails, someone to do whatever. She's like, you're not doing that shit for me now. Why would I not go somewhere where it's better? <laughs> and he is aghast because for him, he feels like he should be, his existence should be enough to keep her maintained. And if it was a black woman who said that, he would have had a very different response. And I have seen very different responses because you find that black women are the ones who are usually called gold diggers for wanting to date people of equal financial mm-hmm. stature or like even slightly more elevated financial stature. It's all oh, you, all you bitches want to do is just do whatever. This is the kind of conversation that gets had. Mm-hmm. So when you're like, oh, how much money is acceptable to spend on a date? Mm. like listen just say you don't have money and go like Mm. no no one is no woman is going to be messaging you and being like oh I think that we should spend six hundred dollars on this date because xyz abc we're not doing that (laughs) that's not what we do but there's this expectation that if a black woman wants different or better that she's too big for her bridges that she doesn't understand her place I think there's also something else that I just remembered is I can't remember where I heard this from now but I heard on a podcast somewhere where someone like talked about like the relationship between like race and gender and like the intersections of that uh, where like basically race is gender like gender is racialized so what I mean by that is I feel like so so this person said on the podcast and I I 100% agree with this by the way that certain races are assigned like gender so like blackness is assigned with masculinity for example and asianness yeah. is assigned to femininity so that's why you see like mm-hmm. black men they're like seen as the ultimate like symbol of masculinity and black women are tend to be portrayed as like aggressive and yeah too big for the british as you said and yeah and whereas asians like, they tend to be seen as like feminine asian women are like the peak of like beauty and femininity and like demureness and submissiveness right? yeah and asian men are like weak and they're not and then they're not seen as like strong and like they're just yeah they're seen like submissive again and I think that kind of plays into like the proximity to whiteness kind of thing like I think that if there's two groups of people that like people always talk about being taking advantage of that it's actually like you say black men but in in my world for Asian people it's like Asian women there's like the stereotype that like they always have like white boyfriends and I wonder if that's because like Asian women are seen as like feminine as is aligning with their gender and then black men are seen as masculine again aligning with their gender and that kind of allows gives them that I don't want to say privilege not not I don't think privilege is the right word but that gives them the ability to be proximal to what do you you know what I'm trying to say Yes, I get what you're trying to say. And I think it's funny that you mentioned that. So I used to be an international flight attendant. Like I said, I traveled to Europe a lot. I flew to Thailand a lot. Yeah. And so many white European men with their Thai wives. So many. And it is such an interesting dynamic because I would be in Denmark and Mm. just just one country, for example, I'd be in Denmark and the black people there were all immigrants. I went to uh, immigrants you know in the negative way the way they talk about it (laughs) but if you're being honest anyone who is not from place is an immigrant but Mm -hmm. they don't count white people they don't count Mm -hmm. other white europeans immigrants only the africans who had to come over here because of their horrible conditions in their Mm -hmm. countries and these it's god racism has gotten so much more astronomical in denmark by the way but 
I remember this one particular instance. I was at a club, mm-hmm. nightclub, but not like the best neighborhood, the dodgy neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like we're being surprised, like a little bit dodgy, but that's where the nightclub that played the black music was, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> inside, it's I know African immigrants, white men, and very few like white women. Like it's very much that. And there's this one white guy, he's like all over me, he's like drunk. He's like, oh yeah, I love your skin, it's so beautiful. It's very gross. So people, why don't they know it's gross? I don't understand. <laughs> very gross. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, I love your skin. Like your complexion is really drawing to me. I'd love for you to come home with me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but what about your wife? He was like, oh, she's asleep. She'll never know. He wants to take me to the house that his wife and child live in to have sex with me in his basement. What? And I was like, sir, do you not? Oh my gosh. And then I'm leaving the club and these drunk men are also calling to me and asking me like how much I charge because the only black women out in the neighborhood right now are the prostitutes. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's fucked. That's fucked. So it's, there's just stuff going on. There's a lot of, there's a lot of layers to this, right? Yeah. Especially like when you, that happened to you when I was in Barcelona too. My friend mm-hmm. was like, listen, we're going out. Be careful when you walk in certain neighborhoods because they're going to think you're a prostitute because the black women are the prostitutes here. <laughs> Don't forget that. Oh, <laughs> so if, you, Jesus. If, you're, if your dress is too short, they're going to like try to make a pass at you. <laughs> Just oh be God. careful. <laughs> oh, wow. That is and wild. Yeah, th- there's a lot of layers that come to with the, but of course, you know, like when you go to Asia, for example, like when you go to Thailand, when you go to whatever, they assume that these Thai women are also for sale sexually. Because that is, you know, the, the Thai lady boy situation. And then like in certain parts of, there, there's this assumption yeah, that yeah. if you find an Asian woman that she must be down for sex, she must be able to prostitute herself for you. Yeah. Because that's what they do. That's what they do, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah. And so it's very interesting. And then I think a part of what makes dating as a Black woman very interesting is the racism from other people of color. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, in Jamaica, like a, yeah. we have a lot of Chinese we had Chinese people, Indian people, like from India. This is very much part of our culture. Our motto is out of many one people, right? That's mm-hmm. very standard. Yeah. We had the indigenous people who were in Jamaica before, the mm-hmm. white people who came. They brought slaves, the black people, and then they brought over Indian and Chinese people as indentured servants. And I had do have Indian in my family. Yeah. And my mother's mother is Indian. Mm-hmm. Well, my mother's mother's you know how it is. My yeah, yeah, great-grandmother yeah. Yeah. on my mother's side was yeah. Indian. And her parents disowned her because she married a Black man. Wow. <laughs> she married a Black Methodist minister. Yeah. And I remember another person in our family circle telling me to make sure that I married. This is a very standard in Jamaica to bleach your skin. They mm-hmm. want you to appear lighter. And people yeah. tell their daughters to like marry lighter because you want to have the nice hair yeah no yeah in in asia as well growing up my mom would tell me like get if i was playing in the sun my mom would get out of sun otherwise you'll you'll be dark and ugly yeah yeah so 
like why would darker mean ugly yeah. especially because exactly. like when you come to the u.s and you realize everyone is tanning yeah you're like so you're yeah, telling so me fun. that i'm hideous for being I, black i genuinely think this is like a, to be black i genuinely think this is more of a grass is greener situation like people in the dark skin want to be lighter because then they look like exotic or different and then like in like white countries they want to look tan because then they look like traveled and again different like I, obviously yeah. there's a racial element to this as well but i do think like the grass is greener thing is like a big contributing factor yeah, we can see how it happens. And I have my friend, God bless him. Like I said, his grandmother, very Indian lady. She hates me because I'm black. And she thought that I was sleeping with her son, her grandson. Like we Oof. can't, because yeah. we we can't mix. We yeah. can't mix like that. Yeah. And so it, that's also the hard part where it's, yes, I'm open to dating people. I'm open to getting to know people. I'm open to building these connections with people. But then it's like the color of my skin is a barrier as mm-hmm. opposed to actually knowing anything about me so Mm. I've gotten to the point like on dating apps where I just list out all the things I won't tolerate first it's if you're a Trump supporter don't talk to me I don't want to hear it yeah I don't care if you only voted for him one time don't even bother it's not worth it just don't if you identify as a conservative don't talk to me I don't want to hear it just don't bother it it means that we're not aligned politically or morally I don't want to I don't want to go into it so I've just started listing all the things I don't want to tolerate. And it means yeah. out a lot of people. You'd be surprised. If you are anti-trans rights, if you don't believe that trans women are women, don't even bother. Don't try to debate this with me. You will lose because I will just block you. It'll be a waste of your own time. I, I don't want to, I'm not debating people's right to exist with you. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it, it's interesting because then you tend to be left with, in certain areas, a lot of white liberal folk, because a lot mm. of the black people are like moderate or conservative, or whatever. And then Mm. it's great. How do I live with this? And that was one of the hardest things to understand about polyamory in the US specifically. Because in Jamaica, once you're polyamorous, you're like, you're okay with a lot of shit. You've got to be cool with a lot of shit to be polyamorous, right? Because we come from this very conservative culture. You have to be okay with a lot of different expressions. In the US, like realizing that people were Trump supporters, were anti-trans rights, and also polyamorous, I was like, I don't, the math is not mathing. This is all connected. Mm-hmm. This alternative quote unquote lifestyle stuff, it's all connected. Yeah. We're all yeah. Of this together. Yeah. Yeah. But you're just gonna. Yeah. Oh, that was hard. <laughs> that was- it's weird because you and I, like, we're both in like the polyamorous creators chat. And we, like, like you were there when we were dissecting that about, yeah, for, you know, where this like right wing person was talking about polyamory and trying to sell polyamory. Like, talk about the virtues of polyamory and benefits of polyamory to a mostly right wing audience. And we were just losing our minds over this fucking article <laughs> because of the way it described it. Like, it was wild. And it, yeah, it's just, like, <laughs> how can you take some things and not others and not understand the, you, you know? So, yeah. yeah, it's like we're in a court, it's an accordion. It's not a circle. It's an accordion. All of this is attached to it. (laughs) You guys know that. It's just like a slinky where you think a slinky is one thing, but it's all these layers to the thing. It's it's just like that. You can't take the parts that you want to take and leave the rest. Yeah. And that applies to a lot of different things, right? It's not just about polyamory, about race, about whatever. Like if you want to talk abolition, for example, you can't decide that you're pro-abolition, but you still want people to be locked in prison. Mm-hmm. But the, mm-hmm. the two thoughts don't go together yeah. so we got I think a lot of it is also like people not being able to find descriptors that work for them 
best. And I think we can talk about why there are too many labels in non-monogamy and polyamory and queerness and all these things. Like there's a lot of labels, a lot of different words people don't understand, especially just getting into this. Like in, in Jamaica, it's gay, straight, bisexual, trans. And so coming to the U.S. where I learned about pansexual, polysexual, omnisexual, all that stuff, I was like, wait, what? Yeah. But that was just a cultural thing. But that's just one thing I wanted to bring up as well. Like be patient with people of color who are immigrants who don't have the same access to verbiage and acknowledging these terms as you do because yeah, I think that's not real. easy for us either that's real yeah like the vast majority of my polycule are actually from university like they're all internationals so one person's from Poland another's from Austria another's like from Australia and like they have like kind of different cultures and verbiage and that kind of thing as well so I think we're gonna have to wrap this up stay tuned subscribe to the monogamish pod yeah Jan you're doing fantastic work for the polyam community so happy to have you on here thank you everyone for watching yes see you bye okay, guys see ya. bye what'd you think about that guys was it great or was it great I know, I know. It was fabulous. What can I say? <laughs> so, of course, thanks again to Leanne. This is the second time I'm collaborating with her in this kind of space. First time on Monogamish, now for her after holiday series. I'm so happy to do it. These conversations definitely need to be had. And I will be having more of these conversations going forward, for sure. And this is not a one-off thing. Not that it ever has been, but y'all know what I mean. So now that I've gotten that out of the way, I rambled and talked your ear off at the beginning of the episode about me and my shit let's talk about the podcast we're still maintaining the every other week schedule for podcast release episodes just so you know that's still happening still working on doing video components for these episodes as well and posting all the old episodes on youtube also working on getting transcripts which is a lot while managing the social media and putting out whatever other content I desire. I'm, I'm doing a lot. I'm doing a lot right now. I'm doing a lot right now. That's annoying. <laughs> but you know what? Thank you so much for your support. I appreciate it. Um, of course, if you want bonus content from me where I dive even deeper into conversations about my life and other topics that I may casually mention on the show, you can join the Patreon for as low as $3 a month. And yeah, you get access to our Instagram close friends list and some blog posts where I go into details about stuff and the higher tiers get um, a different kind of content, if you know what I mean, <laughs> including bonus episodes, uh, Patreon-specific merch, like shirts, stickers, etc. So if you want to support Monogamish Pod and help me keep all these plates spinning, you can head on over to patreon.com slash monogamishpod. It's an 18 plus platform. You have to type it in that way. And support today, like I said, for as low as $3 a month. So thank you so much for that. Um, if you want to have like a different kind of recurring donation where you don't want anything from me, you just want to give me money, you can go to um, our anchor page, anchor.fm slash pod and click the support button. And it gives you the option to donate as low as 99 cents, which I think is actually kind of dope. So there is that option as well. If you want to just only get something tangible in your hands to support the podcast, you can go to our Threadless shop, monogamishpod.threadless.com. You can get books, bags, shirts, pillows, stickers, magnets, masks. The, the, the list, the list kind of goes on. Hoodies as well. It's hoodie season. Hoodies and sweatshirts are on there. So you can head on over to monogamishpod.threadless.com or, or... Here I am telling you all this stuff when you could just go to monogamishpod.com in general and click these different tabs, right? We got a shop button on there. It takes you directly to the site. We have a Patreon link on there. It takes you directly to the Patreon. Like, I'm having you guys run around when you could just go to the website. It's crazy. 
So, of course, you can find us on social media, Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. I don't post as much on TikTok, but I'm going to try, y'all. I'm going to try. Like I said, I'm that juggler trying to juggle like 30,000 balls at once, but I'm, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best. And whatever I post on TikTok usually also ends up on Instagram, by the way, and like real sufficient short form content. Um, so there's that. You can also, also, also support us on your favorite podcatcher app, like follow us. That'd be nice. There's Podcast, Overcast, Podbean, Podbay, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, be sure to follow us on there. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you have the option to rate the podcast. I would appreciate five-star ratings, but if that's not how you feel, that's fine. I'll take what I can get. You know, I might cry a little bit on the inside, but that's totally fine. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, you can also write a review about the pod, which I read all of them and I greatly appreciate it. If you want to contact Just Jen, nothing monogamous related you want to talk about other weird things in life you can message me at have you met jen on twitter and instagram those are the best places to find me i'm always doing something over there so that's pretty much where you can find like the big things about the pod Detailed show notes about this episode of course will be available on the website monogamouspod.com you can go to youtube to watch the videos from this season as in i'm slowly uploading from seasons one and two but there's no like actual video it's just you know our logo and audio (laughs) so for season three we definitely have videos you get to see all the video interviews or just my face i'm talking to you except for this one because for intros and outros it's kind of weird just like showing you my face when i'm recording like in my pajamas or in my robe i don't know but yeah that's that's where we are that's where we're at thank you so much for supporting the pod i really appreciate it wishing you all the best for 2022 once again i'm jen and this is monogamous pod have a happy new year y'all bye